0: to the Bama Online Podcast, this one around midday on November the 4th as we get you ready for Alabama LSU Saturday night at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Might be a chilly one for the Tide and Tigers. Travis Ryder, senior analyst for BOL here with you, joined by senior team reporter Charlie Potter coming off that open date for the Alabama football team. It's been a minute, Charlie, but uh, we got a few things to talk about today
1: yeah I mean I know I take a back seat whenever recruiting starts to heat up and it was certainly hot earlier this week with a couple of basketball commitments um yeah I think we've learned pretty quickly uh Nate Oates and Brian Hodgson Antoine Pettway those guys don't play around and I know you and Tim were pretty busy earlier in the week yeah Monday had the double dip with
0: Brandon Miller and Noah Clowney a couple big pickups for Nate Oates and the basketball staff and you got the early signing period getting going on Wednesday of next week, one day after Alabama Men's Hoops opens its 2021-2022 campaign with Louisiana Tech at Coleman Coliseum next Tuesday night. We'll Talk some Alabama Men's Hoops a little bit later in the podcast. Oh, by the way, Charlie, the Atlanta Braves are your, our 2021 world series champions is it okay for me to talk about the braves now charlie are we safe at this point
1: i think we're safe now yeah and it was uh it was a great series i i wish they would have won of it in atlanta in game five but uh the way they played in in game six up in houston uh that was great um the great season yeah it, it didn't i don't know for me like um, and I know a lot of people that, that follow the Braves. I'm sure you're in the same boat. Um, you, you don't set your expectations that high because you always get let down, um, <laughs> especially this season. I mean, with everything that went on, whether it was the injuries, you had the Azuna situation, um, then you you know you bring some guys over at the trade deadline. Uh, you got to see how that plays out. But then after that, you know, since the summer, they've just played. Uh, with their hair on fire. And, um, you know, it, it sucked to see Charlie Morton go down in game one, but for them to to play the way they did, for the the bullpen to play the way it did, um, it was just a lot of fun to watch. This team was a lot of fun to watch. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was three years old when they won their, their first World Series in Atlanta. And now here you are, 29. It, it was a, it was a fun thing to watch.
0: Yeah. You know, um, just a team that can came overcame itself initially, really, when it pretty much had its roster in full, uh, then had the injuries and, and everything else. And I think that once the Braves even just got to the NLCS, I think most reasonable Braves fans were like, okay, even if we go out here to the Dodgers, this has been about as much as we could have hoped for. But to beat yeah. the Dodgers... On top of everything else, and then to win the series and uh, world champion Atlanta Braves, just uh, improbable. But I guess that's baseball, too. And that's why you have seven-game series, and uh, you never know when teams are going to get hot. And, boy, the Braves were hot at absolutely the right time. And those trade deadline buttons, as you outlined, that were pushed, I i, I can't remember as many moves right yeah. that worked out for a team like those did for the Braves.
1: And then you just look at the, the postseason, uh, the series against the Brewers. Jock Peterson was kind of the the superhero yep. there. Eddie Rosario was the the star against the Dodgers. And then Soler was the World Series MVP. I mean, all three of those. Checked all batted. the boxes. Yeah. Uh, for the deadline and that that's just unbelievable really whenever you look at it like that um yeah jock peterson's a guy that i don't know if i'd like him if he wasn't on the braves but some of the (laughs) things that he said and done have just been uber entertaining and uh no it's been a lot of fun to watch and um yeah i hope some of those guys come back i hope they can keep a lot of these guys in in the fold of course you know freddie freeman's going to be at the top of that priority list but um you know, it's, uh, it's, I, I don't think we're, we're witnessing maybe a dynasty, but I think the Braves, if they can keep a lot of these guys in the fold, they can be a lot of fun to watch for a long time.
0: So nice to have Albies and Acuna locked up already. Oh,
1: yeah. Boy. And, and reasonably priced deals.
0: Oh, based on today's prices, those are discounts. Now, of course, Acuna's coming back from a pretty significant injury, but not the kind of injury that we haven't seen other guys come back and Chipper Jones came back from an ACL early in his career. And uh, he did just fine for the Braves over the course of a hall of fame career. Hey, speaking of hall of famers, no, I'm not talking about Ed Ogeron. I'm talking about Nick Saban and the <laughs> Alabama Crimson Tide football team. uh, Coming off uh, the bye week, coming off the open date, Charlie and, now you wondered if with where LSU is at this season at four and four in the league, two or four and four overall, two and three in the league, uh, the game not having a lot of buzz around it coming off open dates for both teams. but seemed to be some talk earlier in the week anyway that at least some of these Alabama players haven't forgotten the events of a couple of years ago at Bryant Denny Stadium.
1: Yeah, first off, it has been kind of weird because this game usually falls right after the bye week, so you have really two weeks to talk about it. And and once you get to that Wednesday press conference for Nick Saban of of Game Week, you're kind of tired of talking about LSU. But I mean, during the bye week, we didn't talk about LSU hardly at all. Uh, That has a lot to do with the Tigers and um, you know kind of the downfall they've had since that 2019 season. Uh but it is a different vibe. Uh LSU it's tough to keep track of who they have available, uh who's not available, who's out from for for what reasons. Um so they are, you know, they're a team that heck at Orjan last week during the bye week said you know, they didn't have enough uh guys to practice, healthy guys to practice. So you know, they're dealing with a lot of things and that's led to you know this not being the, the kind of game that it usually is with the buzz surrounding it. But um, no, I mean I, I think I, I'm, I'm sure the SIDs weren't you know just super thrilled with it, but you know that was the question that I that I asked uh, all the players that came up this week, at least the players that were there in 2019, just if what happened on the field and in the locker room, the visiting locker room at least uh, after that game, uh, 2019 game. Does that still kind of sit in their crawl? Are they motivated by that? Do they talk about that? And you know, not very many of the players took debate,, uh, but Brian Robinson did. And you know he talked about how um, you know that still fuels him, and they're gonna make sure that doesn't happen again. And I'm sure he speaks for a lot of players. Uh, a lot of players that are still around that uh, you know they felt the the disrespect, that's the word he used. Um, you know, whether it was from the players running over to the recruiting section after the game, whether it was, you know, Ed Orgeron and the team uh, celebrating at midfield and you know, talking about how this is their house now, you know, Joe Burrow was carried off the field on, on his teammate's shoulders. That's the most innocent of what happened probably. And then, you know, the, the viral moment that was caught on Instagram live when, uh, when Ed Orgeron had the famous roll tide, what moment uh, that he didn't know he was being filmed for. So those things are all still remembered by the guys that were here in, in 2019. And I'm sure that's been, you know, bulletin board material played, talked about inside the building. And they've said for the most part, the right things, but, uh, I'm sure, you know, they want to, they want to make sure coach O doesn't have anything to celebrate come Saturday. Yeah. You
0: had some injury issues for this Alabama team, not, anything near the extent in terms of inavailability that LSU is dealing with with an emphasis on defense right now for the Tigers especially in that secondary but sounded like some good news on Wednesday evening following practice when Nick Saban updated the status of Drew Sanders and the potential for his return this week
1: yeah he's the guy really that you know we've been monitoring and that's been you know for the past several weeks now and uh, you know, prior to the Tennessee game, Nick Saban had a, um, a pretty positive update on him talking about how you know, they're going to use the bye week and hopefully he'd be back by the LSU game. So this is kind of the target date for him. And, you know, that continued throughout the bye week and Monday. And then, like you said, uh, after Wednesday's practice. You know, he said that he's practiced this week and practiced well. Um, he hasn't had any issues or problems with that. And, uh, you know, I, I think the big thing is he's he's been out there, I believe. Um, I think he's been in a black jersey uh, and not doing much is just, just because of the hand. So he's been able to still you know, kind of keep in shape. But it sounds like he's been able to practice fully uh, this week. And um, earlier this week they, they did some some scans, some x-rays on him to, to check on how he's healing and uh, Nick Saban said they'll do another check on him at the end of the week and kind of just make sure everything checks out uh, before clearing him to play in the game but it sounds like he's you know taking the right steps to getting back on the field uh, for a game and and it would be big because I think he was starting to play really well before the injury Um, you know he he didn't play in the Texas A&M game so what Alabama's undefeated in games that Drew Sanders has played in so that's that's a good omen and uh, I just think, you know, Dallas Turner's played well, but, um, you know, Nick Saban said before the injury to Drew Sanders, after the injury to Christopher Allen, that, you know, Allen, Anderson, and Sanders, they were all kind of considered starters. So even though Drew wasn't in the starting lineup, they considered him a first team linebacker. So they've essentially been without two starters at that outside linebacker position for a while now. And I know they're, they're eager to get Sanders back on the field.
0: Yeah, LSU Saturday night could present some 12 personnel, maybe even 21 personnel that puts Alabama's base defense out there, and that's where you could really benefit from having him back. And it's tough to play football in general with a wounded Paul, but to play defensive end or outside linebacker where you're. You know, dealing with blocks, trying to set edges in the run game, and then what you're trying to get done as a pass rusher, even in coverage, like we've seen, Drew Sanders excel in uh, against the pass. It's uh, it's tough to do. So hopefully, we'll see the guy we saw before the injury back out there on Saturday night. Alabama has some; they have some different ways they can go about it too. To, to maybe help ease him back in if it comes back to it, can use more defensive ends in certain situations. But what you like about Sanders, right, is the versatility he gives you. He, it, it, he can help you in every package uh, mm-hmm. of what they like to do. And, you know, I, I guess at the same time, you're you're encouraged by some of the things you saw from some of the, the reserves. But I, I think these three games or so, sort of reaffirmed why drew Sanders was in the position he was at before the injury yeah I
1: agree um you know you, you're right that he could be a guy you're not going to keep um, him on the field I think for for all three downs but you can um you know we've seen Alabama uh, use him or kind of use both of those outside linebackers in a four-man front nickel uh, which is usually not the case. They pull an a outside linebacker to bring on a fifth defensive back, so you have Sanders and and Anderson and two defensive linemen out there. They they've shown that look before. Um, you know he's good at dropping back in pass coverage, which I think is something they don't necessarily want to do with Will Anderson. Uh, so Sanders provides you that uh, while Will Anderson pins his ear back ears back and gets after the quarterback and. Um, he was just playing, I think, you know, really well and coming along and getting comfortable before the injury. So he might have to knock off some rust, but, um, like I said, you know, he's a guy that they think highly of. And, uh, like you said, you know, with facing some of these teams that are going to want to run the football, uh, in these final four games, of the regular season, getting him back on the field is, is obviously going to be a benefit for this defense.
0: Yeah. We saw Alabama against Tennessee last time out and it's big nickel. Um, uh, LeBrian Ray at the the edge opposite uh, Will Anderson and a couple of guys inside, including D.J. Dale. So, you know, LSU will give you 11 personnel Saturday night, so you will have your nickel out there a good bit. And Alabama has some some options to work with, and, and those are only made better, again, with, with Drew Sanders on the field. Now, some trends for this Alabama football team coming out of that open date. Charlie, uh, the identity of this offense, Uh, is it safe to say that starts with Bryce Young at this point? Is it more of a mix along with Brian Robinson in that run game that maybe Nick Saban would prefer? Uh, When you think Bama offense right now, Charlie, who is the guy that comes to mind first?
1: I I think Bryce Young first, but I still think they want to be balanced because Brian Robinson's played well. Uh, I think the offensive line has been uh, good in in run blocking, Uh, you know, pass protection is something that they wanted to focus on during the bye week because, you know, it wasn't the best uh, after the first eight games. And, you know, a lot of that was, you know, what the players and Nick Saban pointed to as communication issues rather than a lack of ability. Uh but you know, I think with the way that Brian Robinson's played, um, of course you have to factor in the injury to Jace McClellan, uh, but they've probably gotten more out of him than they expected, and that's because they've had to. They've leaned on him and you know, he's responded and played really, really well. I think uh, you know, Brian Robinson um you know, probably benefited from the bye week to get a little bit of a break, but you know, he's he's been able to carry the load when they've needed him to. But they've also they've they've thrown the ball around. I mean, you know, Bryce Young is in the conversation for the Heisman Trophy, not because he's handing the ball off to his teammates because he's thrown the football. Uh, he's been accurate with it. he's scored um, you know the most touchdowns in the SEC uh, from a passer. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that, too, um, when we've seen kind of that pass protection breakdown that he's now started to use his legs a little bit and pick up some some first downs, especially in some third and long situations. So I still think they want to be balanced. I think, you know, with the emergence of Brian Robinson and the way that he's played uh, and even being a, an option out of the backfield uh, that's led to that. So I, I don't think we'll see, you know, Bryce or, or Brian maybe be the focal point, I think they want to kind of mesh those together at the same time though. Um, you know, Bryce has played well enough. And I think he's gotten comfortable in leading the offense to where, you know, he can go out and, and control a game and um, you know, they have no problem letting him do that. I'm going
0: to put Bryce Young's total for touchdown passes Saturday night at three and a half for this LSU game. And I'm doing that in large part because the last two meetings in this series Tua Tagovailoa and Mac Jones each threw for four against DBU. You going over or under the three and a half Saturday night, Charlie?
1: Uh, I would probably go over. Um, You know, he has I think a a trio of games with at least four touchdown passes this season, uh, with five coming uh, against Southern Miss. Of course, you know Southern Miss isn't LSU, but LSU. I think they have four of their five starters in the secondary out. There's not going to be a Derek Stingley or an Eli Ricks. Uh, Sage Ryan's dealing with an injury. They've just got a, a bevy of problems on that side of the ball, just in terms of availability. And that starts in the secondary. Uh, I think the defensive front uh, is pretty good. But the secondary, there's just – they're going to have some – it's going to be a patchwork quilt back there of guys just you know plugged in and, and trying to, to tread water, I think. So uh, if the offensive line can give him time to throw – yeah, I think Bryce Young can have a big day. Um, you yeah, know, I think again, they're still going to want to be balanced. They're still going to run the, want to run the ball and, um, you know, win the line of scrimmage. But, you know, Nick Saban has said forever, you know, you take what the defense gives you. Well, the defense has given you a banged up secondary. You're going to try to take advantage of that with John Mechie and Jameson Williams and these other receivers. So, yeah, I mean, if, if it's a three and a half, I, I feel like he could be, you know, just the next quarterback from Alabama to go out there and throw for at least four touchdowns.
0: That's gotta be damaging to the psyche at DBU to have three straight Alabama quarterbacks throw for four touchdowns against you, potentially, which could be the case on Saturday night. With Bryce Young, you kind of touched on it a little bit, if Alabama can protect him well enough. Um, how big of a concern is that? For this Alabama offense at this point, I think they've given up 13 sacks in five SEC games so far, and you got a couple of guys and BJ Ojalari specifically for LSU that can get after it on the edge. I think Ojolari might see more of Evan Neal than even Chris Owen, so that's not a a positive potential scenario for BJ. But you got some other guys on the other side: Mason Smith, a talented true freshman, some guys. Pass protection for Alabama, does that continue to rank near or at the top of the, the list of concerns for this offense?
1: Yeah, I think so. And, um, you know, a couple of times Nick Saban talked about, um, you know, just how much of an emphasis that was being placed on during the bye week. And uh, again, like I said earlier, um, you know, they've, they've talked about communication guys being on the same page. Um, that's a little worrisome given how um, you know deep into this season we are. And then, you know, I think a lot of people, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see where maybe the weak link is. That's at right tackle. And, you know, um, Chris Owens is, is a sixth year guy. He's he's a smart individual. Um, and, you know, the reason he, I think, is on the field is because he knows what to do. But if you're having communication issues, um, you know, that's that's a little worrisome. So I, I think that's something that they clearly worked on. Um you know, they've given up 18 sacks this season. LSU comes in uh, with having recorded 24 sacks. Uh, so, you know, they win that one a little bit, but they haven't faced off head to head, obviously. So we'll see if the, the work they've put in has, has paid off. And, you know, I think we'll see again, plenty of um, Kendall Randolph in some situations. He'll probably be, you know, glued to the hip of 79 more so than anywhere else. And then, um, you know, it's interesting, and it, it won't be necessarily in, in, in uh, passing situations, I don't think. But, um, you know, we saw a little bit of a new jumbo package uh, before the bye week. We saw uh, J.C. Latham come on as a, as a true sixth offensive lineman. He wasn't wearing, you know, a tight end number like Kimball Randolph, who's kind of that pseudo tight end. And, again, Robbie Uds is the fullback. So, um, you know, they tweaked that a little bit. They found ways to get J.C. Latham on the field uh, besides being on, on field goals and extra points. And so that that's of course that they're not going to be throwing out of that a lot, unless it's kind of a trick play or something like that or something quick. But um, I, I think that with the offensive line play, um, I'll be really interested to see when just how they look and if they look like they've you know put this thing together and it's played better than they did in the, the first eight games.
0: Yeah. You still are working through a first year starter at center too. So when okay. you start talking communication some of this shouldn't come as a surprise. You know, you're transitioning from a fifth-year senior with about two years of starts that he got in Landon Dickerson. So, uh you know, it's going to be some bumps in the road from that perspective. I do think the Latham development could be taking, taken as an encouraging sign in terms of his big-picture future. Maybe, you know, you're doing this, and we've seen it in the past with Alabama, as you're getting a guy ready for down the road, maybe more so than even this season. Maybe it speaks to J.C. Latham being on that track for 2022 as much as anything. When they're, you know, they're going to need, in all likelihood, two new tackles. So, you know, you're you're trying to to work in and piecemeal as much experience, I would think, for for guys. Although we've seen Latham work inside as well. So, we'll see how that goes down the stretch. Uh, In the future. Hey, um, this defense right now for Alabama coming off the open date, I think sort of lost in it all with the busts and lack of execution against Tennessee that resulted in some explosive plays for the balls is that, you know, this front seven seems to be continuing to progress in terms of its ability to take away the run, uh, Mm -hmm. which is what they've always wanted to do and, and make offenses one dimensional. Um, even with Drew Sanders out, you know, that's, that's an area where we've seen this group continue to uh, progress, I guess.
1: Yeah. That's the thing has been a strength outside of, you know, Will Anderson and the terror that he is off the edge. Um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, going into the bye week led the, the nation in sacks and tackles for loss. But I think as a unit, like you said, they have been good at stopping the run there. One of three SEC teams that are allowing less than a hundred yards a game. Uh, they're, they're allowing less than three yards to carry. And I think that has been an area where they've really uh, improved and, and been a strength, um, you know, for this defense, you know, I still think that some guys can provide more of a, um, a pass rush inside. You know, we know what 31 is going to bring off the edge. You know, he's a monster he's going to be an all American if he keeps this up. But, um, yeah, I think they've been, you know, pretty strong, um, you know, just a, a stopping the run and stiffing that out. And um, they're going to need to continue to do that, as we talked about earlier, because these teams they have you know, coming up are going to want to run the football. So that'll really be tested. And, it, you know, I, I think that's a, a situation where the secondary hasn't played horribly. Um, that, I think, for, you know, what we've talked about, the pass protection aspect, I think the the explosive plays they've given up, the, the busted coverages, that was the area of focus for the bye week. Um, of course, you know, you want to get a lot of guys healthy. There are guys on that side of the ball that are dealing with nagging things, uh, whether it's Drew Sanders, um, you know, LeBron Ray has played more and more, um, in the last two games for Alabama. And I think giving him another bye week that's beneficial for him because we've seen him on the field quite a bit, uh, here of late. And then, um, you know, DeMarco Helms, a guy dealing with an ankle injury that, He's healthy enough to play, but the question is, is he effective enough? And you know, as soon as you know Daniel Wright gives up a couple of, of big plays, they put two in there, and and the ship's righted a little bit. So I think having a healthy Helms, you know, focusing on kind of eliminating those explosive plays, kind of go hand in hand, and and that's the area they want to improve on. Because if they can, you know, stop giving up the the big plays on the back end with the way the front's playing and stopping the run. And getting Drew Sanders back, who can, you know, apply some pressure on the quarterback, draw back in coverage, then you know this defense can continue to take steps to being a little bit closer to what we expected before the season. So yeah, I'm with you. They've they've defended the run well. You know, they just want to stop giving up some of those explosive plays behind those guys.
0: Yeah, and you sort of touched on it there, and we've talked about it in the past. The November schedule sets up where first and foremost with LSU, with Arkansas, with Auburn, with the potential for Georgia in a Southeastern Conference Championship matchup, those are teams that would love to be able to establish the run, first and foremost. They're not Mississippi State. They're not an offense. These aren't going to be offenses that are going to come out four-wides and look to space you out and and take advantage of things that way. They're going to go condensed formations, some tighter formations, some big offensive lines, and some capable backs. And try to do a lot of the heavy lifting on offense in that area of the game. Hey, Charlie, let's shift gears, talk some hoops as we get out of here. On a Thursday, Alabama men's basketball gets cranked up for the 2021-2022 season. Next Tuesday at Coleman Coliseum, the alma mater of Carl the Mailman Malone coming to Tuscaloosa in Louisiana Tech. Hey, you now, we had talked about what this team sort of looked like in the charity exhibition win over Louisiana here a few days back, but you didn't have Javon Quinterly. You didn't have Jawan Gary. You had very much a shorthanded lineup for Nate Oates. So, understanding that, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. <laughs> what will a potential starting lineup, in your opinion, look like for the Crimson side when? things count
1: next week against LaTeX. yeah I've, I've thought about this I've, I've talked with um you know some of the guys in media relations in alabama that, that focus on basketball because you know, we've had guys throughout the network doing all these preview stories and you know they think something's going to be one way and i'm like ah, i think it'll be a different way um i, I, I don't know if i can cut it down to six. I think there are five. I think there are six kind of starters on this team. And uh, it's very guard heavy. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, Quinterly and JD Davison are going to play a lot together. They're going to be very exciting to watch. If you know, Jaden Shackelford didn't have a great game by any means uh, in that exhibition uh, against Louisiana, uh, one of 14 from the field, I believe. And, and he's not going to shoot like that probably ever again. Uh, so, you know, I, I think, you know, he's in the mix, Keon Ellis, you know, Nate Oates is just, um, he sang his praises all preseason, calling him one of the best two way players in the country and the best two way player in the sec. And, uh, I know you're a big fan of Keon and I am too. And he looked really good in that exhibition game. Of course, you know, he had to kind of elevate his play without quinterly and, um, you know, with a freshman in there and JD Davison and he did exactly that with, with 21 points. And then, you know, I think the bigs, um, you know, Jawan Gary wasn't available for the exhibition. I think he could be in the mix, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's, you know, Noah Gurley at the four and Charles Bediaco at the five. So you look at the, the guards then, I think, you know, Keon Ellis makes sense at the three, but then you've got two spots for three really talented guards. That's
0: what I was going to ask you. Can you envision a four guard lineup?
1: I don't know if from They'll the They'll open jump, with it. Yeah, I don't yeah. know from the jump. I think we'll see that plenty uh, during the season. And Nato's talked about that. Um, back whenever we were, I think it was whenever we were, uh, watching the, the 15th practice of so the, the, the midway point of the preseason practice schedule. And yeah, he talked about playing, you know, Quinterly and Shackelford and Davison and Keon Ellis all at the same time. And, you know, that does limit you a little bit. You're going to be a smaller lineup. Uh, but you know, they, they talked about, or, or Nate Oates talked about, uh, how you're going to make teams play defend that you know you're going to dictate the the place the play style the the play tempo um you know you're going to have to make teams go small too to defend that or or try to defend it or get their asses run straight out of the gym exactly so i don't think we'll see all four in the starting lineup but that's where it gets tricky what do you do then um you know for me this is just me personally speaking about it um, I would start Quinterly and Davison. I know that's pretty wild to, to put your leading scorer on the bench, but he is also a guy that entered the transfer portal. That's just me, though. Um, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see. <laughs> and you can and you can't be petty at times. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I don't think we'll see Jaden Shackelford on the bench a lot. Um, and you know we saw Javon Quinterly come off the bench last season and have no problem with it. So maybe that's the route they go. But um, you know, I, it's just. It's difficult because I, I think you'll have Keon Ellis at the three, and then you know Gurley and, and Betty Ako at the five. Mm-hmm. What do you do at that point? That's where I run into problems, and I think it's a good problem to have, honestly, when you have that situation. Even you know we're, we're talking about this and the maybe the log jam at the guard position, and that's considering that Namari Burnett's not available because of the knee injury. You know, to be having that this debate, things, yeah, I, I, it would be nice to have but to have that debate still a good thing for Nate Oates and and company to have to try to figure out.
0: Give me the four guards and the seven footer and mainline it straight into my veins. That's what <laughs> I want okay. I want the four guards, Ellis, Quinterly, Shack, Davison, and then give me the big man, Betty Ico holding down the paint, and just give it to me straight. I'll freebase it. How about that? That's what I want. But I hear you. I think uh, that's probably not the way they're going to play. All You didn't bring in Noah Gurley to play that way um, you know, for 40 minutes. But, man, that that's got the potential to be a lot of fun when they go small, when they go that small, but and, and the beauty of it is when you have a seven footer essentially on the floor to go along with them, you're not just leaving the rim unprotected, which is what had been a problem for them at times in recent years, because
1: they didn't have that presence right at, at, in the paint. Yeah. I mean, that's something that Nate has talked about at length. Just Charles Bediaco gives them something they hadn't had. And Alabama hasn't really had since I guess Dante Hall really uh, just a big presence down there. That's going to block a lot of shots. It's going to clean up some mistakes. Um, you know, pull down a lot of rebounds. You know, he's a guy that, um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch in this system. And you probably don't think of that when you think of NATO, it's just a seven footer, you know, thriving out there. You're thinking of a lot of guards, a lot of wings that are just they're shooting up a lot of threes and scoring a lot of points and playing at, you know, breakneck speed. But I think, yeah, it, that lineup would be a lot of fun to watch. I think we'll see a lot of it this year. Um, I, again, I don't know if we'll see it in, in the starting lineup. Um, I, I would definitely tip my cap to to since <laughs> if he did that, but, um, yeah, I think Betty you know, we saw him get more comfortable even in the exhibition game as it went along and started to play well uh, toward the end. And, um, you know, I think that's a, that's a player that we're going to see, uh, a lot of this season. I think they have high hopes for him. And again, it's, It's something that, you know, this basketball program, not just with Cincinnati does has been here, but it hasn't had for a while.
0: You know, if you're going to go four guards, it, it can't just be about athleticism. If you go four guards among those four guards, a couple of those guys at least better be dogs. And when I say that, I'm talking more about if they're six, four, six, five, they better be willing and able to do the dirty work in addition to running the court and shooting threes, they got to be able to go get rebounds, loose balls, things like that, because you are talking about a potential size uh, deficit there. But, you know, I think Keon Ellis, Davison, you know, some of those guys got some of that in them. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Hey, Charlie, as we get out of here, I know you asked Nick Saban about this on Wednesday and we certainly want to then send our thoughts and, Condolences to the family of the young lady passed away tragically in the car accident involving former Alabama wide receiver Henry Ruggs the third a couple of nights ago out in Vegas just absolutely tragic absolutely senseless uh, and just horrific uh, on every level and again first and foremost uh, thoughts are with Tina Tentor and her family Um you know, inexcusable is really the only way to describe it. But at the same time, uh, you know, knowing Henry Ruggs a little bit, uh, there is at least some compa- compassion for him and his family on the
1: side of, again, just this unspeakable event. Yeah. I mean, it was one, you know, whenever the news initially broke, it, it sounded like that he was, you know, in, he was hurt. And, that's where your mind goes initially. Then some more details come out. And and as the report started to, to trickle out after that, it just got worse and worse. And uh, it is, you know, tragic is, is the accurate word for this. Um, you know to see how fast he was going uh, and, and how impaired he was. Um, you know, it, it's for lack of a better word, I tweeted this out. He's lucky to even be alive. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, it's just it's a it's a dumb uh, choice uh, on his part. It's one that's going to uh, completely alter uh, what was a promising life for him. Uh, it mm-hmm. completely altered the, the lives of the family uh, unexpectedly and also his family. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's a it's a sobering moment because it, with what we do, especially at 24-7 Sports where there's an emphasis on recruiting you see these guys when they're kids and he's you know to me he's still a kid at 22 but you you see them when they're 15 16 17 even 18 years old and you see them develop into some of the best athletes in the country you know they get on campus at alabama and they become stars on the football field and you see their dreams start to come true with national championships individual accolades a guy like Henry, in his case, he's a top fifteen draft pick, the first wide receiver off the board. The world's in front of him. He's a millionaire. He has everything. Um, has every resource at yeah. his fingertips.
0: That's the that's the thing. And then uh, every opportunity not to make the mistake he made. And I'm not going to sit here and cast too much judgment at folks because I'm beyond being able. Uh, I'm nowhere near near being able to to refer to myself as perfect, uh, with every decision I've ever made my life. It it just, but it's just senseless, I guess the word I keep going back to.
1: Yeah. That's, that's what I was going to say is like, you, you've done everything, you've achieved your dream and then you just, you piss it away with one stupid mistake. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's, you feel for for him because you know you've talked to him, you've watched him uh, grow up, and all this stuff. But you know you feel more for the family, and that was really what you know Nick Saban's message was uh, last night. You know he said first and foremost, their thoughts and prayers uh, go out to all involved, but especially the victims. Um, and then this is something he's going to use as a, as an example because you know they talk about this a lot uh, with the players on their team, with the choices they make, and you know doing the right thing because. Nick Saban called the consequences sometimes devastating, and in in Henry's case now they are devastating because he could face up to forty six years in prison. So you know, he said the right things. He said they love him, they support him, but you know they have a lot of compassion for uh, you know Tina, you know the victim and, and her family, and uh, it just is. It's a it's a tragic tragic situation and one that could have been avoided.
0: Yeah, sobering, for lack of a better way of putting it, I guess, to think that. Henry Ruggs may very well go from being on the receiving end of the message from the speakers and folks that Nick Saban and the Alabama football program have brought in in mass over the years, right? To address the players and the team on situations very much like this one to perhaps one day it's Henry Ruggs that's delivering that message in that yeah. team room over
1: I- off Bryant Drive. I actually thought that, and I, and I hope that's what happens. I hope that you know he's right. obviously going to serve some time, and I hope that he learns from this lesson and, and uses it um, for good to to tell people don't make the same mistake that I made. And yeah, I mean, I I very much so uh, expect if he you know once everything um, runs its course that you know when he's out and everything that he can come back to Tuscaloosa and and you know tell these guys don't do what I did. And uh, I think that's a, that would be a very poignant message. And I hope that's what happens. And I hope that you know, he gets things turned around because he is a guy that I, I don't remember Henry Ruggs ever being in trouble before. I don't remember him having any kind of issues or anything like that. He's not a bad person, but he made a mistake that is going to alter his life and alter the lives of several people uh, that were involved. And um, he's going to have to live with that.
0: Not exactly the high point that we wanted to close things up with today, but one we felt like we needed to address here on the podcast. And as always, appreciate immensely Charlie Potter for his help in doing just that. Charlie, big weekend coming up. Hoops on the horizon. It's all happening with us at BamaOnline.com. For more of our coverage, be sure to check out bol. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast, the Bama Online Podcast. This one right here. Easy as a click or two, and we would certainly appreciate it if you'd leave us a rating and a review while you are there. For Charlie Potter, Travis thanking thanking you once again. Have a great weekend, everybody.